one of the best feelings you can have here as a groundskeeper is when a guy gets called up from double A and they walk out and they see the field and they make a quick comment of how beautiful it is or they go out there for their first round of batting practice in Renfield and they make a comment about how true the field is and, and how pristine it is. That's, uh, that's what we're here for and that's the ultimate goal. This is Untold Sideline Stories, a podcast where athletes, broadcasters, and employees behind the scenes in the sports industry share their stories and experiences that don't normally make the broadcast. Becca Fiorentino, and my very first guest on the show is one of my dear friends who knows a thing or two about baseball. He just wrapped up his 15th season with arguably the best-known minor league baseball team in the country. Scott Strickland started out mowing the grass for the Durham Bulls and is now the assistant general manager of the club. His love affair with baseball fields dates back to his early years of mowing the yard with his grandfather. So as a kid, I used to love mowing the grass. What about the mowing the grass? Um, nothing specific. It was very kumbaya-esque to me, even at age like nine. And so my dad would joke that he'd come home from work on Friday, and I'd be mowing the yard. And then he'd wake up on Saturday uh, with the windows open to the sound of me mowing the yard again. And then you could uh, speed it up a little bit and go to high school. Went to Mount Tabor High School in Winston-Salem, and we were responsible for maintaining our own playing field. I kind of loved that. It was a way of getting my hands dirty and being outside, but also I think one thing that's really rewarding in that field, no pun intended, is you can work all day on something, and then when you're walking out, you can look back and see what you actually did. Uh, Whereas in some things you do, you don't necessarily have that proof of performance, so to speak, at the end of the day. And I've got two older brothers, and the middle of us three was working for the Winston-Salem Warhogs at the time. All the college kids that were working left to go back to school middle of August, and they still had two weeks of the season left. So my brother said, hey, they need some people to work in the press box. Would you mind going and working? So I ran the scoreboard for like $20 an hour, and I was a 16-year-old kid loving life. And then through that, that was kind of a gateway to the world of professional baseball, specifically minor league baseball. And then the next year, I guess I didn't fail too badly, and they invited me back. And at the same time, I started working on the grounds crew. There was a moment that I kind of had a a light bulb go off type moment. It was during the summer, an intern from the office, and they'd been been inside working at a cubicle for the last six hours of their day. And he said, man, y'all got it made. You get to work outside and I'm cramped up in an office all day. And really at that moment, I actually decided um, that I did not want to pursue a sport administration degree, specifically at the University of South Carolina, and that I wanted to pursue a turf grass management degree at NC State. I don't think you can beat going to a ballpark and working outside every day, Um, at least at the time I didn't. So uh, that's what kind of got me into professional baseball, and uh, I worked for the Warthogs for three seasons, and then while I was enrolled at NC State, um, got hired here on a a part-time basis in 2004, and right place at the right time. My boss left at the end of 2004, I took over him in 2005, and then uh, have changed roles a couple times since then, but... Um, have been here ever since. The places that I've been, uh, which is not that many, but they match my personality, I think. Um, They're not too big and they're not too small, so you're not going to get bored of seeing the same people every single day, Um, and you're not so big that you're just going to get lost in the shuffle. 
Um, I think that's one of the luxuries we have here with this stadium, with the Bulls, is we're big enough and we've got some luxuries that most minor league teams don't have, but it's not like a major league team where you might just be another a link in the chain. And that has very much so matched my personality. So I found more of a home than a, a place of employment. So. And I'm sure a reason why you've been here for so long. The years kind of fly by. It's it's interesting. Uh, we have a different, uh, every year something's different, at least every two or three years something's different, so it keeps it fresh. But yeah, I've worked for the same boss for 15 years. We have a, a great relationship. He's more of a friend and a mentor than he is a, a boss. We've got great ownership that are you know always looking to improve the facility and improve the product. It's hard not to form uh, in-depth relationships with these people due to the amount of hours and the amount of days that we spend together. You do um, that in the baseball world. Yes. So uh, a 13, 14, 15-hour day is kind of the normal. Nine to five doesn't really exist until the offseason. So it all factors in. It all factors into to being more of a family than a, a place of employment. And your role obviously has changed from the time that you first got here to today. Walk us through a typical day. How about in season of what your day looks like? It's a lot of putting out fires these days. Um, it's also a lot of planning events that are maybe six to, to ten months down the road as opposed to um, facilitating the day in front of you. And I would say moving from the being on the field for so long, I had a great understanding, at least I thought I did, of what um, attention to detail really meant. And I'm still learning that in the new role getting off the field and how you balance the attention to detail of the day in front of you while also having three or four meetings that day working on something that's six months in, in, in front of you. And then also with, with the dynamic that we have around us, uh, it's my role to spend a lot of time focusing on what's our impact to the neighboring facilities, as I call it, in the neighborhood, and then what's their impact on us. Um, so for example, at every Tuesday, we have parking meetings with every uh, venue in the neighborhood. So that might sound pretty simple, but if you throw a, a Friday night uh, music on the lawn concert in American Tobacco, combine that with a sold out show at the DPAC of 27, 2800 people, combine that with a uh, sellout crowd here of 10,000 people, uh, that's a lot of people in a one block area in this environment. And so we count on each other to plan and work through all those details to make sure that all of our guests, not just the Bulls guests, or the DPAC guests, or the um, American Tobacco guests have a great experience. Because if they don't have a great experience, they're going to blame it on all of us, and they're not going to come back. Um, so that's not very good uh, stewardship of the neighborhood, so to speak. So the day now is definitely spent more so on answering emails. Managing people is definitely a different animal. I think that's one thing to, if you haven't managed a person or a group of people, it's that's the next big challenge in your life. So a lot of that now, whereas in the old job, Really didn't have to worry about any of that. Um, I Managed the grass. Correct. I literally had a, a wall around my workstation, and I controlled to a degree everything that came inside of that wall. And now I, I don't have that luxury. So that's kind of what the day is like now compared to, to what it used to be. Well, with your experience, you've seen how the Durham Bulls ballpark has emerged and how the industry has emerged with it. Yeah. What are maybe some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from day one to today? I think a lot of, uh, you can see a lot of the trends in, in professional baseball, specifically minor league baseball, represented in our stadium. Um, so that might not be something you, you think of when you walk into the gates or come inside and are watching a game. But um, just let's just take the, the world of group outings and picnics. Um, that didn't really exist to a degree when this stadium opened in 1995. Um, and now it's a, a huge part of our business. 
I would say back then as well, uh, the family entertainment wasn't as big of a deal as you were coming to the game to actually watch the game. These days, um, you know, I would estimate on, on a big night, 70% of our crowd isn't necessarily here for the game. They're here for the birthday party. They're here for the company outing. They're here to meet up at the 42 bar at Jackie's Landing and hang out with a bunch of friends. Um, they're here for the, so- the social setting, not necessarily actual action on the field. And that's changed just in my, in my time here as well. The stadium, and that's one of the, the cool things about our ownership, is we don't just build something or renovate something and let it sit there for five, ten years um, and let all those trends happen and go by us while other facilities improve and adjust to those trends. Out of the 15 years I've been here, I'd say we probably have had three or four years max where in the off-season we didn't do something substantial to the facility itself to improve the fan experience, whether that's a sound system uh, repair, the addition of a video board, the addition of picnic areas, the addition of uh, standing room only type social settings, uh, which is where kind of the, the millennial crowd really likes to hang out. They don't want to sit in a seat with you know five people on their left and right, and that's their, that's their night. They want to be standing up at a bar, circled up and, and telling stories and having a good time. So another big difference is the number of events that these facilities are having and hosting. You look at downtown Durham with what it was 15 years ago and compared to now, and the way you have to look at it as this is a facility or even down to the playing field. It's a playing field that's a little over two acres, and it can't just be used six months out of the year or 90 times a year. It just can't be in a downtown environment uh, with weather that's great before that six months and after that six months. Um, you've got to use it for more purposes uh, to bring in more revenue, uh, and it's more important to the community. You know, they've invested a lot in, into the city-owned facility, and it needs to be used more than 70 times a year, which is what our schedule is. Concerts, um, food yes, truck rodeos. Absolutely. So we, um, you know, our calendar year, people always ask what we do in the off-season. Well, I would argue we don't really have an off-season. Um, after the 2013 season, we added a uh, just the, basically just shy of 300-person club. Um, and I like telling people we've had everything from uh, two weddings to two funerals in that space. If you want to host a party, we're your spot. Uh, in addition to all the baseball games that a baseball facility would have, in addition to beer festivals and concerts. So uh, we're much more of a 365-a-day or a year um, facility than we were in 2004 when I started. What's the hardest part about your role in operations that maybe a lot of people wouldn't know or understand about? You're really in charge of, uh, or you're responsible for the full experience. And by that, I mean when you're sitting in your car and you're driving to the DBAP, you want to get in quickly, you want to park closely, you want to walk to the stadium easily, you want to have a non-hassle environment to get through the front gates, you want to be directed to your seating location. You want to have ease of access to nearby concessions that are affordable, no lines. That's a big one. Yes. That's a really big one. You don't want to miss too much action as a result of a line just to get a hot dog. You don't want to have anything happen during that game that uh, is going to devalue your purchase or your family experience. That's what obviously we're geared towards is a family entertainment option that's more affordable than any other option and we're going to give you as much quality entertainment during that time frame as possible uh, and then more importantly as well we want you to have an ease of access to your car when you get out of here and quick exit sounds great because you can have 
all the great things in between, but if you have a bad parking experience on the front end or the back end, especially, that's your lasting impression. That's your last moment of memory at the facility. So if I have a bad time with parking, I can call it's you. It's all me. So why are you so passionate about this and what has kept you here for 15 years? I think that goes back to the relationship standpoint. Um, I'm not someone who's just going to walk by every employee every day and not say hello to them. I want to know their names. I want to know their families. I want to know all that type of information. So um, that makes them a little bit more comfortable and makes them not feel as much of a workplace type setting. I think that's really important with the schedule that we have. You're going to spend so much time with each other that it, it can't just be work 100% of the time or else everyone will get burned out. Preach. Um, yes, right, absolutely. And, and people that work in sports, uh, if you don't know that, uh, within your first six months to a year, you know that quickly. Yes. Um, and you want to you want to enjoy who you work with, right? Because odds are those are the people you're going to go to birthday parties with later in life. Those are the people that you're going to invite to your wedding. Those are the people that you're going to hang out with it at uh, you know the neighboring bar after the game's over um, or in the off season. That's the Christmas party you go to. The number of hours we work. If you don't like the person you're working with, it's going to make for a very very long summer. To answer your question, I would tie it all back to the size of the venue, the size of the front office, uh, the relationships that have been very, very long-term, and you just get to know everybody, right? And that's it just it's common sense stuff. It's real-life type stuff. So it's easy to be passionate about the events that we have. We like to think that we're in the memory-making business. And when like you're walking that. down the concourse and you see a dad holding hands with his five-year-old son, I mean, that what's better than that, right? Um, and it's 82 degrees and sun shining. And there's fireworks, and it's just it's a great place to work. Our boss always talks about where you are as an employee. We've got a bus, right? There's a bus going down the road. One, we need you on the bus. And then more importantly, um, we need you in the right seat. We need you to play the right role. Um, and that's one thing that we've, um, as we've grown, we have much more role players, so to speak, if you're going to try to compare this to a, a basketball team or a football team or something. Whereas before, we didn't have that many people and everyone did a lot of things. Now we were much more departmentalized and this is your role and we need you to kick it. We need you to be all in on it. So one, we need you on the bus and all in. And then two, we need you in the right seat. And it's up to managers, equally as it is on the employee, to establish maybe what that seat is. And just because uh, um, you want to be on this seat but we need you in the other seat. That doesn't devalue you. That doesn't devalue your work. It just means we need you in that seat right now. Um, and hopefully we can bump you up to that other seat. Um, or you can bump yourself up to that other seat. You can knock the door down and, and take that seat. But we need you on the bus, and you need to be in the right seat. And that's one thing that we, we kind of preach to, to, to anyone that's trying to get into sports or anyone that's already in our office. Well, obviously working in baseball, if it was easy, everyone would want to work in baseball. Yeah. But they may not realize all the hours that you work and the sacrifices that you have to make. What are some challenges along the way that you've had to go through um, and overcame? You know, honestly, I don't know how folks that are not from this state do it. If you're not at least from a couple hours around where you work, if you're working specifically in baseball and, and you have a lot of family and you're close to that family, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how you do it because uh, I'm really close to my family and have got a brother, sister-in-law, and, and a niece and nephew um, in Greensboro, so an hour door-to-door from the stadium. A dad in Winston, so an hour and a half away. And then an oldest brother down in Charlotte. Let's just call it two and a half hours with traffic. Think of all the holidays that happen during the baseball season. 
And with Duke baseball playing here, our definition of baseball season is February 1 to end of October, as opposed to most minor league facilities, which is basically April 1 to middle of September. So think of all the holidays, think of all the birthdays in your families, think of all those uh, family reunion summer beach trips. And I would say if you work in baseball, you might be able to get to a quarter of those. And obviously that's a big sacrifice. So you do give up a lot, but hopefully you've got you know a goal in mind. You're working towards something that you think is worth making those sacrifices. Um, if you're not, obviously that's, that's no fun. But if you've got a clear goal in front of you and it's a, um, accomplishable, then it's something it's worth it. Come on out to a game, right? Get in the car, come on over. Because if you don't, probably not going to see you for a few months. Uh, <laughs> so that's, um, that's important as well. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. I mean, family is so important. Yep. And if they have your support, then you have all the support, really, that you kind of need. Yep, absolutely. That's what helps you get through the day. Yes. Well, I kind of want to ask, going back to your mowing the grass days, what's the hardest part about keeping the field beautiful? The hardest part is you have to think of that as what it is, which is a living object, which means if it's alive, it could also die very easily. It can get sick. It's like, a, uh, it's like an infant. It needs to be taken care of constantly. You can't just take two weeks off and not do anything to it and not feed it like a person. It has to have all those environmental aspects going for it and not against it in order to thrive. Then you throw in the number of events that we do and just think of your backyard with a dog running around on it constantly. Uh, it's not going to look great all the time. Um, so it's our job on the field to provide the safest, best-looking playing surface possible. You keep up with technology and science and what are ways that you can improve your product in order to reach that goal. You know, you wouldn't think of grass and dirt having that much technology involved, but I would say every five years or so, something changes in that field, pardon the pun, that drastically makes your job easier. And so it's a matter of uh, knowing about those, educating yourself, and then educating your, your boss and ownership on that and trying to, to go after that. So one thing that we've done here um, to continue that is we've basically switched out the heaviest wear areas of our field from one type of grass to another type of grass. And this new type of grass holds up to wear and tear better, and then whatever wear and tear it does have, it recovers much quicker. And in our environment, that's incredibly important. The common question everyone asks is, how do I get my lawn to look as good <laughs> as out there? It's I'm like, sure. So you need an expense budget that's high. You need uh, a full-time staff to take care of it. It doesn't just happen overnight. Um, it's a multi-year process, and it's year-round. Just because someone's not playing on it in December doesn't mean that we're not doing something to it to, uh, to put it in its best physical condition to go into the next baseball season. So it's just like a living, breathing person. It needs Love. It gets a cold. <laughs> Uh, it needs to eat. Um, it needs a haircut. Water. It needs all that. It needs water, and those things are time-consuming, expensive, but they're worth it. I think one of the best feelings you can have here as a groundskeeper is when a guy gets called up from Double A, and they walk out and they see the field and they make a quick comment of how beautiful it is, or they go out there for their first round of batting practice in Renfield and they make a comment about how true the field is and, and how pristine it is. That's uh, that's what we're here for, and that's the ultimate goal. So. That's the rewarding part. Well, I want to go back to making sacrifices and challenges. Was there ever a point where you felt like you wanted to get out of baseball, and why did you decide to stay in it? 
there's points in everyone's life where you start to question what you're doing. You question, what's the, where am I going to be at in five years? I've accomplished this goal and that goal, but I don't even have a, a next goal. And when you're at some place for a very long period of time doing the same role, you can kind of get stagnant a little bit. I would also argue you might not be, it's kind of hard to push back from the table and realize, okay, yes, I have the same title. I'm doing the same job, but am I doing the same job? Let's think of all the things I've done in the last six months and then compare that to what you're doing your first couple of years. I would argue probably 90% of the time you have naturally taken on additional responsibilities or you have more clout in the office if that's important to you. You naturally, um, you know, the institutional knowledge you know, category is so important at a lot of places and you just naturally improve your value to your boss and to your company um, just by being there and showing up every day. Um, you know, 90% of the battle is just, just showing up. And so I think that's difficult to think of. And if you've got a, a great mentor and a great boss, um, those are the type of people that can point those, those things out to you quickly. But I would say I probably had that moment, um, probably at year seven or eight of being here. We had been really successful. Um, we had won the 2010 International League and AAA Field of the Year Award. And it was like, all right, well, I, I in, at least on paper, have won this award saying we were the greatest ever that year. But uh, all right, well, what's next? And so it's pretty easy to get stagnant in that. Uh, I was fortunate enough that the kind of growth of our business coincided with that. And so there were additional responsibility items out there that um, I was fortunate enough to my, for my boss to say, all right, well, how about you run with this project, run with that project, um, or come along for this meeting. And just a simple, I think that's one thing that uh, as a, a leader or as a department head, just literally the act of taking someone to a meeting about uh, planning the next event, um, and more so taking them and exposing them to something they haven't done before, um, can, it can almost freshen up two or three months of their life. Um, and I think that's really, really important. So um, at that same time, for my personal story, basically, we had just started hosting uh, in 2009 was the first year of the ACC baseball tournament. Um, and that's a cool event for me personally. Got a lot of friends in the ACC um, at their member institutions and back in the conference office. And then grew, growing up in ACC territory is almost like you're, quote unquote, working an event you love to go to as a child. And so, therefore, you really don't look at it as work. And then the Durham Athletic Park uh, came into our operation in 2012. Duke baseball uh, moving from a kind of a, a 15 to 18 games a year standpoint to a, a pretty much full-time basis uh, three years ago. But, yeah, I remember uh, my boss and I sitting at Tobacco Road. Uh, I remember it was clear as day after a game was over. And I point blank asked him, like, what's, what am I doing? What's, what's next? But I give him all the credit in the world. He didn't just shrugged me off and say, oh, we'll talk about it tomorrow. We sat there for two hours and had a legit conversation. And that's, again, that's the place you want to be. That's that's when you're working at a home and not just a place of employment. Um, you want to be able to have that open communication with your supervisor or even his supervisor. Uh, hey, what, what do you see me doing in, in, in three, four, five years? Uh, what would you like me to improve upon? Um, that was one of the first things I did in this current role and last role was I went to um, our ownership and said, hey, what, what do you want me to accomplish in the next year? Um, and then once that year was up, ask him to go to lunch again. Hey, how did that first year go? Uh, keep, keeping that open dialogue and having the, the ability to have that dialogue, I think is really important for professional growth 
um, and uh, and wherever the future takes you, and then also being reminded, hey, don't don't have the gas pedal pulled, you know, pushed all the way down. It's okay to be patient. Uh, good things will come to you. Um, you know, if you're not getting fired or run off, that means we like you. Uh, so just just hang out, prove your worth, work hard, bust the door down. That'll take care of it by itself. And what about someone who would want to be in your position? What would be the best advice that you would give them? Go to an event and don't go to the game for the game. Don't even don't even watch the action on the field. Wow. Uh, think about all of the different jobs that you encounter in that venue. So think about the parking. Think about the police. Think about the EMTs. Think about the planning that went on with the uh, surrounding uh, municipality or city. Uh, think about the maintenance of the ballpark. Think about the promotions that were run. Think about the ads that were sold and the sponsors that are a part of the team. Think about the people that had to sell those ads. Think about the people that had to hang those signs. Think about the field. Think about who's got to maintain that. Think about the tickets you bought and if you bought a single ticket or if your family has a mini plan or if your family has season tickets. Who came up with that price structure? Who came up with all the different type of mini plans? Uh, who's preparing the food? Who's serving the food? Who's producing the post-game entertainment, whether that be kids run the bases or fireworks? Think about all the different jobs that go into putting on the event that you're at and attending. And then try to think, hmm, one of those hopefully is sounding entertaining to you. And then at that point, uh, if you can preferably ID a venue or team or business that you want to work for, uh, and you've ID'd that uh, department, so to speak, that you'd be interested in, make contact with that department manager, that vice president, that GM, that assistant GM, whatever it is, make contact with somebody. Uh, email them, call them, text them, Instagram them, Facebook them, tweet them, whatever. There's so many different ways to communicate these days that there's no reason to not communicate. And then the next thing that I think is probably more important than anything is wherever you are and you're working, realize that people are watching. Everyone is always watching. Um, you know, in your world, there are thousands of people watching. Yeah. And everyone, again, this is not something that's um, earth-shattering or rocket science. Everyone makes judgments on people and their product. And if you put out um, a, a 50% product and not 100%, uh, someone's going to notice that. And that might be someone that has no influence on your career, future career at all. Or it might be someone that you might be wanting to interview for or interview with three years down the road. And what are they going to remember? They're going to remember that time you only gave 50% or put a product out there that wasn't your best. Communicate as much as possible. Stay in touch with those people and just be cognizant of the fact that you're always uh, proving yourself. You're always in sales. You're always selling. Just in case, you know, you're, oh, I don't want to be in sales. I want to be in operations where you're still selling yourself um, and you're selling your product and your results in your future. So that's one thing to always keep in mind, I think. Some wise words from Scott Strickland. <laughs> Learned it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to switch it over to kind of a lighter note. Yeah. You talk about food, mm -hmm. particularly ballpark food. You've been to a lot of stadiums. What is your favorite ballpark food that you've had? Well, I know you're a big Astros fan. I am. Um, I would say the best thing I have ever consumed was, uh, I believe it was Minute Maid Park at the time, but it was at an Astros game with my family. 
and we all had baked potatoes with barbecue inside it. Um, that was delicious. I got most of the barbecue in my mouth, the rest of it on my shirt. Um, but to, to bring it back local, bring it back to the DBAP, uh, we do you a lot have of, to. We have to, right? Uh, we have a lot of homestand specials. We did a Krispy Kreme burger, uh, deep fried last homestand. That was pretty solid. But my favorite here is actually uh, Bang Bang Shrimp up in the PNC Triangle Club. Uh, Got to plug our chef, uh, Chef Curtis. Uh, makes a mean bang bang shrimp, and uh, shrimp he'll at actually, the ballpark, yeah, huh? Not traditional ballpark food, right? No. Um, but I would invite everyone to come out, get you a ticket up in the club, and enjoy some bang bang shrimp. But, I wouldn't necessarily put shrimp and baseball together, but yeah, shrimp I do like to shrimp go with ninety-five degree temperatures. But that's why you got to be in the club, seventy-one degrees all the time. Uh, but he will actually walk out of the kitchen with a platter of the shrimp. And he will lose regularly a quarter of it before he even gets to where he's placing it because people will just walk up and grab some of it and put it on their plate and walk away. It's that good. I am Italian, so seafood is like in my blood. Yeah, absolutely. We don't have any, uh, you know, when you think of baseball food, you don't think of uh, legit Italian dishes all that well yeah, no. or all that much. But uh, maybe we can add that to the next homestand special. I'll be there. There you go. <laughs> Well, you have a lot of experience, and with that, you've also heard a lot of stories. I want to know your best dugout story. We had... PG. PG, yes. The ones that I can tell, at least. <laughs> um, we got, and I, I actually don't know how this got started, but the grounds crew and our relief pitchers uh, four years ago started telling riddles. And for the last month of the year, we would alternate. Monday, the relievers would be in charge of telling the riddle, one, researching a good riddle and telling it. And then the grounds crew would go back to the shop, try to think of the answer, come back down for the next drag. Uh, So we drag the infield after the third and sixth. So we would tell the riddle in the third, and we would attempt to answer it in the sixth. And then that's when the answer would be given by whoever told it. So Mondays, relievers had it. Tuesdays, grounds crew had it. Um, and one of our old pitchers, C.J. Riefenhauser, had by far the best riddle, uh, which is way too long to tell now. Oh, no. Um, that's for another podcast. That's for another podcast, yes. But uh, it was just outstanding. Uh, it took us a day and a half to solve. Uh, we actually rolled it into the next game. Um, but it was just outstanding and uh, to kind of bring it all full circle here. I think that is a good representation, too, of um, you can really have some good relationships with folks here. And, uh, again, you spend so much time with one another that you, you tell jokes with and, and you're one big happy family. It is tough to get through a, a full summer like that uh, with a lot of hours. But, yeah, that's one thing that I think folks that don't come to a lot of games you might not necessarily see is how everyone's kind of on the same team, so to speak. Um, and you tell jokes with. You see their families grow up. Um, you're here for the birth of their children and whatnot. And those are the, the laid-back moments in July and August, kind of the dog days of summer, uh, where you get to kind of kick back a little bit uh, and tell jokes and, and, and have fun. But, um, that would be the best, that would be the best riddle. Stay tuned Um, for what the riddle was. Right. (laughs) But the best actual in the dugout moment would be a, uh, a tie with a a lot of different people, uh, is when you get to see, when you happen to be down there, when the big leagues call. So if a player gets called up, um, especially during a game, the big leagues will call our trainer. Um, a lot of folks probably don't know that. So he always travels and always sitting there, with his cell phone on. 
obviously they don't want to call our manager while he's coaching third or something and call on his cell phone. So our trainer is responsible for that. And they'll say, all right, uh, Rebecca's getting called up to the big leagues. Rebecca might be playing center field at that particular moment. So Rebecca might get pulled out of the game and come into the dugout. And obviously at that point, you've probably got a good idea what's about to happen. Uh, but when our manager, um, right now Jared Sandberg, gets to tell um, a kid that he's getting ready to fulfill his, his lifelong dream, that's a pretty cool moment. Um, and so being down there to be able to see that type of stuff, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, that uh, that's pretty tough to beat. I'm like getting the chills. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's so cool. Uh, and with technology now, we've been adding GoPros to that type of stuff, and you try to play jokes on people sometimes. And uh, but we've getting we're getting a lot of those on camera, uh, and you see the uh, the honest reactions out of the guys. Uh, those are those are pretty cool moments. So you've been to a lot of different ballparks. Yeah. How many? I have been to about three quarters of the big league teams. Uh, my mom actually for Christmas got me a map with all the big league facilities um, and the thumbtacks, basically. You thumbtack all the ones you've been to. Um, so I've still got a few more to cross off the, the bucket list in that one. But uh, in our league, I've probably been to half of them. Uh, I've been to every minor league facility in the state. In terms of baseball, that, that's I think that's pretty good. That's but a lot. I can still add a few more. And, and that's, uh, for me, I think that's a big deal. Uh, because I've been here for so long, I'm just used to what I've seen here. So it's a great value to go to another facility and see how somebody else does it. Going back to my groundskeeping world, uh, the Sports Turf Managers Association, <laughs> which if we have any listeners out there, I'd be very surprised that are also card-carrying members of the STMA. Um, but we have an annual conference in January uh, that basically rotates between East Coast, uh, middle of the country, and West Coast. And the uh, first day is what's called a seminar on wheels, in which you get on a bus, or a lot of buses, and you go to different facilities. And just walking through the, those facilities and seeing the kind of behind-the-house operations of a venue, you can really see a lot of things of, oh, gosh darn it, why, don't, why aren't we doing it that way? Well, last question for you, Scott. I want to end it on a fun note, and I'm always interested to hear what people have to say about this question. Who would be in your fearsome foursome, dead or alive, who would you love to play golf with, you included? I would put, uh, you might laugh at this, but... Uh, Charles Barkley, number one. Really? Actually, one, because of the comical swing that he has. <laughs> and two, I've just imagined that that uh, conversation would be Amazing. absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I would put George W. Bush. Okay. Number two. Um, I think if you, uh, I don't know, I just think if you, like, you look at pictures of, so we saw that picture um, at his uh, mother's funeral mm-hmm. with um, President Obama President Clinton, his wife, um, W. Bush, H. Bush, um, and then uh, President Obama's wife. And like it was, everyone looked happy. Everyone seemed to be enjoying their company. But I think W. seemed like that's the guy that you probably like most want to get a beer with. <laughs> or in this case, being a foursome on the golf course with. Uh, I would just love to pick that man's brain and listen to the stories that a president uh, would be able to tell. Please share uh, those. From eight years worth of, yeah, that'll be, the next podcast will be stories from George W. Bush <laughs> and riddles from C.J. Riefenhauser in the dugout, uh, which could be a good podcast title, riddles from the dugout. And then I would probably have to put my dad in there as the fourth. Uh, I would consider him my best friend. And uh, and then just also watching him uh, have banter with those individuals would be would be kind of fun as well. 
sounds amazing. If yeah. you need someone, I can videograph. Video we go to Washington Duke and uh, <laughs> tee it up. <laughs> and for anyone who wants to follow along with your adventures or see anything going on at the Durham Bulls ballpark, they can find you on Twitter at Durham Bulls AGM. Right, Scott? Yes. We have a lot of different things going on at this ballpark. And uh, I think it's cool for people to see you know, what all what all is going on. Don't be afraid to shoot questions our way or, or say, hey, here's what we got going on too. So that's a, that's a learning experience for us as well. Thanks so much to Scott Strickland for being my very first guest on the show. If you have any suggestions or people you think should be on the show, send them to at Becca Fiorentino on Twitter or Instagram. Music produced by Eli O'Neill Music. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe. I'm Rebecca Fiorentino, and you've been listening to the Untold Sideline Stories podcast. Podcast.